Friday, and we are on day 19 of Black History Boot Camp, and that was Mahalia Jackson singing Sometimes I Feel Like a Motherless Child, and I am Vanessa Garrison. I'm one of the co-founders of Girl Trek and the co-host of this 21-day walking meditation that we are doing with hundreds of thousands of Black women and friends across the country, and every day I get to talk to my uh, one of my best friends, Morgan. Are you there, Morgan? I'm here. Hey, Morgan. And we <laughs> just walk and we talk that? together. <laughs> right. I was <laughs> like, what is it? <laughs> look, look. <laughs> oh, man. I was that like, was a this song. Because I was listening to your playlist. I know. And then I got on to Mahalia Jackson. I was like, Lord, help us today look. on this one. It's so hard. Yeah. It, yeah, but it's it's it necessary. is hard. So let's talk about it's it. It's hard yeah. and it's necessary, but it's funny that you even said that about the song being heavy because one of my intentions has I'm I only just am realizing it, but one of the things I think I have been doing when curating the playlist on when it's my assignment is trying to think about the um the levity that these women wanted to have but couldn't have because they were called for such a purpose in life. I, I want to celebrate them as these giants, but I also want to recognize that Mamie Till Mobley was a black woman who wanted to picnic with her kids on a on a weekend afternoon. She wanted to lay up with her man on a Friday and, and watch television, I guarantee you. She wanted to hang with her girls. She did not want to spend her life tirelessly advocating for black men to not be murdered. So I'm usually trying to, and, and she just want like, usually I'm trying to pick music that, like, kind of, I think, represents a life that they didn't get to have. But I was reading about Mamie Till Mobley, and I was just like, this is, God, this is going to be what it got to be. Like, this playlist is what right, it is. Right, right. Well, you know, is... because, no, Mahalia Jackson herself felt that pressure, where she, yes. you know, um, Martin Luther King called her, like, the moral center, the moral voice of our country. And that's a lot of pressure, you know what I mean? And she actually, you know, she was so famous. I don't know if you know her story, but she, Mahalia Jackson herself was so famous Mm -hmm. that she got all these like record deal offers and she rejected, I mean, just the opposite of some of the women we've been talking about. She stayed the steady path of, 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 of singing for God because she said this was her calling. 
And it was such a heavy calling. She got death threats on her life. You know, she was singing at every single civil rights march, every single funeral, every single everything. And actually her, we were talking about gambling. Her husband left her because because she was too severe about her calling on her life. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, and he became a gambler and all sorts of things. So even that you picked Mahalia Jackson for this day, it's like, I don't think she chose that either. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like sometimes yeah. our callings are greater than we are. Yeah. Can you yeah. imagine a world yeah, without Mary Jackson? Thank God for that. I Thank can't. God for her articulating her pain. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I cannot yeah. imagine a world without her. Um, so, so Morgan, actually, it's just I was just I was thinking I was gonna I was like shoot because I want Mahalia Jackson at my home going service and I was like why do I want Mahalia Jackson at my home going service I was like, you I'm having conversations with myself in my mind exactly and I'm like you saw you remember that movie yeah she's saying yes of course of course yes yes of course and I want her to see if you're under if you're under you got to go watch Invitation of Life. If you're listening to this and you're under yes. 40, it's literally the saddest movie you've ever yes. seen, but it's essential watching for Black women. <laughs> it is. It is essential watching. So, Morgan, um, let's talk about um, Mamie Till Mobley, who first, and I just want to um, apologize to folks, I misspelled Mobley in the original social meme that went out this morning, um, but our tribe continuously um, helps us adjust our crown. So somebody let us know, and we had fixed it, and the correct one is up on Instagram. Um, but I just want to um, honor my mistake and actually even just forgive myself for the mistake. And we're going to talk about forgiveness and Mamie and um, a little bit in this call. But it happened. It's out there and we fixed it. But Morgan, I want to talk about her because and this is exactly in line with what we were just talking about, around having a calling. Mamie Till Mobley was a quiet, everyday black woman living on the south side of Chicago. She had one wish, and this is the most heartbreaking part of the story of Emmett Till's death, that the world knows the story but doesn't know the story. She actually had one wish, and it was heartbreaking when I realized it. She wanted to go on vacation. Mamie Till Mobley was a black woman working on the south side of Chicago who was looking forward to going on vacation to see her family in Nebraska. She wanted her teenage son to travel with her. Her teenage son being a teenage son said, mom, I want to go see my cousins down in Money, Mississippi. And let's face it, Morgan, we all want to go to Money, Mississippi instead of go to Nebraska. Every summer. Every summer, 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 right? (laughs) So Mamie Till Mobley let Emmett Till travel down to Money, Mississippi to spend some time with his cousins while she took a vacation. And Morgan, I know the story of Emmett Till. I know the story of Emmett Till. For those of you who don't know the story of Emmett Till, he was a 14-year-old boy who, while visiting his family in Money, Mississippi, was accused by a white woman of wolf-calling, cat-calling her. He, The woman um, who later recanted her story, um, but we will get into that. The woman then sent... That's too kind. The woman lied. The woman lied. The woman lied. Yes. The woman lied. Yes. And the woman's husband, Roy Bryant, and the woman's brother, the husband's half brother, J.W. Milliam, went to Emmett Till's great uncle's home that night after the woman said this happened in the store and they demanded for Emmett Till to come out. 
his uncle Moses pleaded with the men to leave Emmett Till alone. He said over and over again, he is a boy. He is 14 years old. He is from up north. He then pleaded with them even more. Just give the boy a whipping and leave it at that. He actually begged these white men to beat Emmett Till just to spare his life. His wife, Emmett Till's aunt, Elizabeth, offered all the money they had in the home for the men to leave him in the bed, but they didn't. They woke him up, got him dressed, dragged him out of the home, and three days later, Emmett Till's body was found in the Tallahatchie River. I'm going to say this so that you hear it. He had been tortured. He had been shot. He had been wrapped in a barbed wire that was attached to a 75-pound fan, and he was thrown and left for dead like he was not Mamie Till's son. Like Mamie Till didn't just want to go on vacation for once as a Black woman. Of course, this caused, not of course, actually, but this caused in the town of Money, Mississippi, just in Money, Mississippi, it, it caused an outrage. And Bryant and Milliam were charged with the murders of Emmett Till. Emmett Till's body was swollen beyond recognition. His teeth were missing. His ear was severed. His eye was hanging out. The only thing that could identify him was his ring. But his mother, upon seeing his body and accompanying it back from Mississippi to Chicago, said she wanted the world to see what happened to her son. And this woman who was just trying to go on vacation picked up the phone and started making phone calls. She called the Chicago Defender, one of the country's largest and leading Black newspapers at the time. She called Ebony. She called Jet. She told reporters that she wanted everyone to understand what barbaric acts looked like. And Morgan, her picking up the phone, which is one of the most powerful acts of activism that we can do right now from our homes on several different issues, her picking up the phone started a chain and a hundred thousand people came to Chicago to see the body of Emmett Till. And Morgan, I just learned this fact. This is how God is connecting Black women powerfully. His funeral was held at Robert Temple Church of God in Christ, where he worshiped, which was the same church where Sister Rosetta Tharp got her start in. So a hundred thousand people came to Chicago went to Robert's Temple on 40th Street and, and saw his body. And then even more importantly, Mamie Till made a strategic decision to share the photos of the funeral in Jet Magazine. And Morgan, people could no longer turn away. Across the country, just like we could not turn away from George Floyd on the ground, people started to rise up. People started to demand that there be justice. Mamie Till herself became a crusader and an activist. She tried to get President Dwight Eisenhower on the line. She tried to get the FBI Director um, J. Edgar Hoover on the line. Of course, none of them were trying to respond. In fact, they issued a statement saying that there had been no allegations made against him that, did, that subjected him to the depravity of any right or privilege, that basically he, what, his rights weren't even protected under the constitutional law is what they were basically saying based on his quote unquote behavior. His two murderers went on trial. And this is when they did this thing that they do to black people all the time. 
They then put Emmett Till's whole family on trial. And they told the world that this 14-year-old boy was likely guilty of catcalling a white woman, which apparently made him then deserving of a brutal death. But he was apparently guilty because his father, who he didn't even know and had been shipped off when he was a baby, in Italy had likely raped and murdered some white women. And so therefore Emmett Till had the character to do that to white women. And Morgan, in only five days, they acquitted the white men who were charged with his murder. But it could not stop the outrage that was already happening in the streets. And although there are many historians who will debate the moment that the civil rights movement started, most people will say that though the leadership was in place, though the ideas and strategies were starting to form, it was actually the passion of a grieving Black mother that lit the fire under the leadership that helped them to center where the fight should be in the South, that then helped them to understand the power of storytelling and galvanizing the people that then launched the civil rights movement. It would be only months later that, Ro that Rosa Parks would refuse to give up her seat on the bus. Mamie Till spent her whole life, Morgan, fighting for a justice that she has not received and she died. She has not received it. She fought to her death. She then, I'm telling you, a grieving mother who was just a simple woman trying to go on vacation entered the Chicago Teachers College. She graduated cum laude. She became a public school teacher for more than 23 years. She got a master's degree from Loyola University. She started the Emmett Till Players and she took young black kids around teaching them how to perform the works of Martin Luther King so that they can educate the masses. She did all of this after her son was murdered after her son was falsely accused by a white woman of something he didn't do. And she did it while going on a national tour where she powerfully offered forgiveness to those murderers. I don't even know where to start in this conversation except to say that the world asks too much of black women. It asks too much of us. Yeah, that's where you start. That's the perfect place to start. Woo! Yeah, I have so many thoughts. <laughs> I, I mean, the too. first thought I have is, is unrelated to that, but it's just something that's on my mind. You know, part of, the, part of what has always disturbed me about Emmett Till's story is that he was from Chicago and he was in Mississippi. So he, and his mom raised him right. So he had a, a sort of dignity, a sort of stand tallness that actually makes white people afraid. And I know that because yeah. I'm from Mississippi. And so I always just thought, and I always played this back in my mind. He's this good-looking kid, mm -hmm. you know, 14, 15-year-olds, you know how we are, we're that age. And he's just like walking around with his shoulders held high, and that was enough of a crime. Proud, you know proud I mean? as he should be. Yes, yes, I do. That was proud. enough of a, of, of, of a crime. And so that's first and foremost, is that as mothers of Black boys and girls, it's like this, this tight place we have to be in where we have to, where we have to teach our children to walk tall, but not be intimidated. Yes. You understand what I mean? And yes. that, it, it's yes. not fair, actually. It's not fair. It's not fair. Um, I've it's been, infuriating. I've been personally trying to shake that off. Like, I'm going to walk tall regardless. I'm going to walk tall. And if you want to kill me for, for being proud and being um, upstanding, if you want to kill me for it with your looks, with your jars, with your, or, or literally kill me for it, you're just going to have to do it because I won't shrink anymore. And I know that that, I know that was his crime in Mississippi. So, I mean, here's Morgan, why the that's heartbreaking. Thing, mm -hmm. But can I tell you why yeah. that's heartbreaking? And then please remember your second thing. 
it's heartbreaking yeah. because Mamie Till recalled specifically that she understood the danger of her boy being a Chicago boy in Mississippi and that she sat him down and had a conversation where she told him to be very careful, careful. She said, humble yourself to the extent of getting down on your knees. If you have to, that a black mother has to tell her proud son to get down on your knees. If you have to, that we still kind of are having to kind of have those conversations with our black boys kind of balancing the fact between I want him to come back home alive, but I also want him to be a proud black man. And if, an, if he is facing an injustice, yeah. should be able to speak up for himself. But I don't feel safe telling any of my, the black boys in my family to do that. No, there's a different kind of safe, which, which, which is soul violence, violence against the soul. And, and, and yeah. so, you know, it's just a shame. It's a shame. It's a shame. I, I remember yeah. the last time I was in Mississippi and I was waiting, my um, aunt and uncle were at church. I, I just surprised, I was in Memphis, so I decided to drive down and they were at church. They didn't know I was coming. I wanted to surprise them. So I was like, oh, well, let me just go for a hike. <laughs> you know, Vanessa, I'm free. So I was like, well, mm-hmm. let me just go for a hike. I'm in like some little SUV or something. I'm driving on the other side of the track in Crenshaw, Mississippi, in places I don't know. And it all starts to flash back. You are not safe here. You are not safe here. And like, as they're like barreling by in their trucks and their Confederate kind of thing. So anybody who assumes that this is just, this was long ago, it wasn't. And then the second thing I'll tell you, um, and then get back to your original question is Mm -hmm. when I was just in DC that last time, Vanessa, and I was in a a Mm -hmm. taxi and this older black man drove me to the hotel and the unrest had already started um, back then. Um, and he, for the entire trip, I actually have video of it, because he was so fascinating. He recapped the entire Emmett Till story. So he's about seven wow. years old, and he was Emmett Till's age when it happened. He recapped every detail of the Emmett Till story. Because I told him I had been down to Brian, Stevens, Brian Stevenson's museum. Or no, no, no. I had told right. him that I had been to the African-American museum. And I said, have you been there? Because they have a whole tribute to Emmett Till. And he said, I can't go yet because I was the same age as him. And he was like, I'm just not ready yet. And he, this man who's 70 years old, 70-something, however old Emmett Till would, be, would have been, it was still like, visibly traumatized by what happened. And I was just thinking, this is not fair to black people. And one woman, it's certainly not fair. And then the last response I had is your question about black women holding it. So for for anybody who's new to this, um, Vanessa and I are the co-founders of an organization called Girl Trek. Girl Trek is trying to get a mil- or is getting a million black women to walk for better health, for spiritual health, and to reclaim the streets of our neighborhoods. And in doing so, we have trained women across the country to be organizers in their neighborhoods. And we were in Florida doing an organ- uh, organizing, on an organizing trip, training women in Florida. And after that really difficult training, actually, because it was in a really impoverished neighborhood, I get back on the plane and I'm go- walking through the plane and I saw a black woman on the plane and I made eye contact with her and I thought I knew her. So I waved. And she was looking at me like, hey, you know what I mean? And then it was a slow line going to the back of the plane. And then I realized I didn't know her. I recognized her and that it was Trayvon Martin's mother. And I talked about this on Ted, but there was something in that moment back at me. She realized I realized who she was and she blew me a kiss. And I was just thinking what kind of divine humanity does one woman hold to have to bury her son in injustice, to have to be the spectacle of questions and prodding of the media, and to still have enough capacity to show me grace. 
like Morgan, this was actually, that's actually the, no, that's actually the first um, point that I actually wanted to talk about in the conversation around Mamie Till Mobley, because a lot of people said it was her, the pictures of the open casket and the very brutalized body of Emmett Till that got people, that galvanized people. But when I was looking back at the pictures, I was like, no, it wasn't his body. It was her face. It was actually the anguish that she had to put on public display for people that she wasn't even allowed to have a moment of solace. That was the thing that moved people. This, And I just was thinking, that's not fair. It is something that people ask us God. to do every day right now to this day. It's like we, you want that we are asked to essentially tap dance, perform, um, entertain. When I tell you the emotional labor that black women are doing right now in this world for our white allies and friends, like when and, and, and that our white allies and friends are asking us to put our public pain on display for them and they don't even recognize when how they're doing it. No, it's, 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 someone wrote an article, I think it was a black woman, wrote a really great article about the emotional labor that black women carry. And it's even evidence in GIFs that black women yes. have a disproportionate yes. amount of, of GIFs because we, are, yes. we have to publicly express our pain, our rage, our confusion. Our, like we, we, are, we, we are articulating the pain of a nation and we have been. Yeah. We have been. So, yeah, yeah no, I... Oof, oof. There's something else, Morgan, about this story. Look, yeah. there's something else about this story that's also infuriating that we're continually, that we actually are still here um, 75 years later. Uh, Christian Cooper, the black man who was walking in Central Park trying to get his bird watch on, who had Amy, I don't even know the last, because I call her Karen, right? I don't know what Amy's last name actually <laughs> was. But who had Karen call the police on him and actually dictate to the police intentionally, he's an African-American man. Hey, I'm a public, like understanding even that the consequence would be he is going to be immediately thought to be guilty and law enforcement is going to immediately think that she is right. And not understanding that at the end of so many of those calls are dead black bodies. That that's what's oh, happening. She's fully understood it, Vanessa. She fully understood yeah. that, that she was weaponizing her whiteness. That was the whole point of it. She fully understood just as the woman yeah. who un, who in Mississippi who accused this this child of hurting her yeah. knew for a fact what that meant, which makes me question what her intentions were and what her pain was. Yeah. Was it that he wasn't paying her enough attention? Was it that he was too proud? Hello. Like what was it, woman? Right. 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 And what is it right now, white people, that when we barbecue, when we um, hang out in our college dorm halls, when we sell popsicles on the street, when we literally put the key into our own front door, that you think that somehow we are not in a we are in a wrong place, in the wrong place, because that's really what is happening. Right. White people have audited that. No, this is not a place where you belong. And I'm wondering oh, what's that, going to be the legal you know, consequence, Vanessa. Where I, that that girl in the grocery store said, "That white, it's not funny." She said, "Excuse me to that white lady," and then she didn't like face in the aisle, so she called her a nigga. Yeah. And the black woman was yeah. like, "Today, it's not gonna go down like this." Today. Not today. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Look, she wore her out. She wore her out, and I'm just like, "Yeah, that's <laughs> sorry, old school." I was like, yeah, exactly. It was, it was, it was sweet retribution and justice, and I am a nonviolent woman. Um, but. <laughs> 
sorry, I just can't today. I just, when, when there's that quote, I don't, I don't, I'm going to paraphrase the quote, but when essentially like, be glad we have not burned this down. I am telling you that yeah. it is yeah. sorcery. And I, I yeah. thought about this, Morgan. This is an injustice. This is the biggest injustice that we don't talk about. This is the injustice of Mamie Till Mobley in her life and every other woman we have talked about for the last 18 days. I want you to just imagine a world where Mamie Till Mobley, where Olive Morris, where Rosetta Stark, where Zora Neale Hurston, where Toni Morrison, where these people did not, these brilliant women did not have to expend their energy in the fight against proving their own humanity or demanding justice. Imagine what they could have done in the world if they didn't have to expend their energy this way. This is an absolute injustice. I just, I just, um, it, which brings me to my literally next point. There's a ton of conversation in this country, Morgan, right now around police reform. I know there was a Democratic pass back to bill that actually just got passed, but I don't know the details of it. I'm just wondering what we think should be, or what I know to be, what something that should be in every bill around police reform, which is it should be a criminal offense to falsely call the police on black people. Like that, like we don't, if we're building an agenda, I'm putting that on the agenda of things that need to happen immediately. No, I know. The woman who, who, um, who killed Emmett Till with her lie, she confessed on her deathbed. And I remember when she died just a few years ago, there was a lot of conversation on do we forgive her? And I was like, forgive her for yeah. murder? Like that's yeah. murderous. What she did was murderous in, in the rural South of Mississippi. So yeah, I, I absolutely think that should be a part of a bill. You know, it's interesting, though, defunding the police is step one, but it's the entire criminal right. justice system that exonerated these men when the evidence was yeah. so clear that they were murderers. And do you remember when the, when the Girl Trek team went down to Fannie Lou Hamer's house and I was like, I can't stay in this town. I can't eat brunch because yeah. the man who kids killed yeah. him and killed, uh, lived here. And he was still alive. I was like, he lived here. Well, Morgan, look, let me make I a confession right here. Let me just make a confession. I Google the woman who falsely accused him and I was, I maybe spent 45 minutes trying to Google her family. Cause I'm like, well, where are they at? Where, like, like where I I'm like, where are these people still living in the world? Still like going under the radar. Like I'm trying to figure them out right now. And I, because yeah. it's like, that also is in, to me, it's like, I hope we are in a reckoning in this world right now. I hope the universe yeah. is revealing everybody, reveal everybody to us, God so that we can all deal yeah. with the truth finally for once and for all. This country is not moving forward without a truth and reconciliation. And that reconciliation is going to require us to point fingers and name names. Yeah. Yeah. I think he died. And I take all this, I'm going to take all this, Morgan, look, I'm going to take all this into my last and final topic on this conversation, because when I tell you the re the universe has, God has been reading me for Phil, when I tell you, let me tell you how things be just, I'd be like, I get the message, God, you didn't have to whisper it, you didn't have to write it on the wall, you didn't have to type it on my forehead. But just this morning, I was doing my own personal work with my life coach, you know, Lori, and we were working on forgiveness. And I was like, Lori, I don't even believe in all that, because it's just not even that serious. If I forgive you and then I just put my boundaries up, it's done. So I just moved on. And all this conversation we need to have about forgiveness, it's just futile. And I was like, but I was reading Mamie Till, about Mamie Till Mobley. And I put this link and we're, we're actually going to hear her words a little bit at the end of this conversation. She literally said she forgave them, Morgan. She, she used her Church of God in Christ roots 
She said she used the spirit that was within her and she used the knowledge that her life would actually be no good if she expended her energy hating these men to find forgiveness. And I was just like, how, Sway? Like, but I, let me say I this, because we, we don't got that much time. Let me say this. Yes, that is where, that is, that is our superpower of being expansive, bigger, loving, more anointed, more light, seeking that. That is our, wow. we, we're good at it. But I have to tell you, the cost was great for her to get there. Not only did she lose her son, but she almost lost her mind. And I don't know, she writes so beautifully about the moment when she tried to take her life. She writes so beautifully about it. And even in her trying, attempting to take her own life, she had something inside her that was saying, don't do it. Don't do yeah. it because you have a greater calling on your life. She was, she, she talks about going to the first window to jump out and it was painted shut going to yeah. the second window. And she's like, I got on this dress that my mom made me. I can't do it in this dress going to the third window saying, well, if I jump here, nobody's going to see me. Like that is the spirit of God saying, just don't do it. Just hold on. And I just yeah. want us to know that. It, and she held on for 81 you years. Your Morgan. own spirit. No, but we, there's yeah, a reckoning in our yeah. own spirits, Vanessa, to hold on because there is something great on the other side of this extraordinary pain that anybody might be feeling right now. There, trust you, me, somebody who knows there is something greater for you on the other side of deep and dark pain. And I just am so grateful for women like her who are transparent about that kind of pain. I'm just yeah. grateful for her. Yeah. So, so yeah. she and my own personal that, and on um, the other side of that. Yeah, is forgiveness. On the other, when you've gotten it's, past that, it's forgiveness. I just wanted to name that it was a real emotional struggle for her um, to get yeah. that. Yeah, and I think, and I, and for me, I just think it's really, it's going to be work. It's going to have to be work like doing push-ups and sit-ups for me to get to the level of forgiveness that I need to get to in my life with lots of different people. Um, but I know I need to get there, Morgan, because which is my personal meditation that I'm working on personally for the week. And I was um, talking to Lori about this morning, which is just and realizing is in forgiving, you just create more space for other things. And I have, I mean, as I'm like tasting this like new freedom of life I have, I'm just like, damn, I want to make space for more of that and more of that and more of that. And that means I have to go in and be like, what's taking up space. And when you go in and ask yourself, what's taking up space, it's like, you could probably let go of this or that if you were just willing to forgive and you can hold on to it with pride or ego. Or you could let it go and be like, now I have made room, God, plant in me a new idea, a new friend, a new way of being, a new feeling or emotion. And I believe it it will grow in you. I hear that. And I respect and love that. And I want that for you. And I also think that there is a complexity in that when you're holding on to justice. Because it's hard to forgive injustice. Do you understand what I mean? And I don't actually think it's right. It's right to forgive injustice. I actually think that is a part of being a spiritual warrior. It's just freeing up anything that's inconsequential, but fighting for what is right is actually the mission. You understand what I mean? It's actually. I do. So there's this delicate. I know we have to go, Morgan, but speak on this though. Speak on this (laughs) though, because this this happens though. That holding on has turned some soft. Are some of our soft soul into hard rock in this way that I don't want that for, yeah. for the future. So I don't, yeah. I don't want well, that I mean, either. Personal yeah. injustices. Do you understand what I mean? If somebody yeah. didn't do you right in childhood, if whatever, those are real yeah. injustices that can turn into rock. So it is a real, yeah. like, I mean, it's God work. It's really for you to say, okay, 
what do I need to push for? It's, it's the balance between hard and soft that we talk about. It's like, I'm not going to get mm-hmm. run over and just be practice like radical forgiveness. I'm just not going to do it. Right. I'm going to have really right. strong boundaries and a spine so that I can move forward in with grace even. You understand what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh man, some people come in, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know the answer Vanessa is the truth, but every single day yeah. I'm taking stock on how I spend my space, how I deploy my yeah. energy, um, how I deploy yeah. my love and time. Yeah. yeah. Well, I will ask, um, as we wrap up, I will ask anyone um, out there listening, if you have ways that you cultivate forgiveness, please share them with us. Um, hashtag Black History Bootcamp. We are learning. I'm trying to put all the tools in my toolbox. So whatever tools you're using to cultivate forgiveness, like uh, holla at your girls and let us know. Uh, We only have two more days. We're taking the weekend off, y'all. Rest up, restore. Um, Look, I'm like, I promise to God at 1239, whatever things I have on my list, just Morgan, I ain't doing them. Like, I'm not doing them. As soon as we hang up this call, it's a W-R-A-P wrap, like as hard as my hair used to be wrapped in uh, in eighth grade. And I'm just- Wait, is it Friday? I thought it was Thursday. It's Friday. Ain't it Friday? Please don't don't joke me like this, Morgan. Oh, it's Friday. I'm just asking. It's Friday, (laughs) definitely. No, that's me. Oh, my God. That's Rona time. Yeah, no, no, no. It's Friday. So tomorrow, and tomorrow you won't get the um, the check-in that says, did you walk this week? Because we really only have two more days of the challenge. So you will get your completion badge at the end of the challenge. So please, please, yeah. please do not expect it tomorrow. Wait until the end. We're almost there. We're at the final stretch. You did it. Congratulations. We love you all. Keep on keeping on, y'all. Stay safe out there. All right. Let's listen to Mamie Till Mobley and her um, thoughts on forgiveness to wrap us up. I, too, give honor to God, who is the source of my strength, and the reason for my being. In 1955, when my only child was killed, it seemed that there was nothing for me to live for. I wanted to die. But in the midst of that planning, the Lord spoke to me, and he told me not to spend my time hating the perpetrators of the crime, because they would not even know that I was hating them. And the things that would be released into my body would eventually destroy me. And while I was pondering that statement, another thing came, another uh, something was spoken to me, and that something was, I am the ruler of heaven and earth. I see all things. I'm commissioning you to go into the vineyard and work. And what is right, I will pay. And don't forget that vengeance is mine. And a wonderful thing happened to me. It seemed like someone took a giant eraser and my mind had become a chalkboard and everything, all memories of Mr. Milam and Mr. Bryant were erased from my thoughts. I was able to go out into the vineyard and work, which I'd been commissioned to do and that work turned out to be training boys and girls to do Dr. King's speeches 
I can truthfully say that for 47 years, I have not wasted any time hating Milam and Bryant. They became inconsequential so far as I was concerned. It was as if they didn't even exist. And since I have had time to think things over, I don't want anyone dead. And even the people that are proven guilty, and these two men did confess of their foul deed, but even so, I do not wish, uh, I, I don't have the balance of life and death in my hands that was entrusted to God himself.